For our reading this morning, I've brought some words by F. Scott Fitzgerald, the great novelist. And if you haven't read The Great Gatsby recently, it's a terrific look from about a hundred years ago on exactly what is going on right now. So if you need a little winter reading, pick up F. Scott Fitzgerald's The Great Gatsby. The reading is an excerpt from that, and these are words by the character Tom Buchanan, um, who's kind of set up as the, the ultra-conservative in the book. And these are his words. Civilization's going to pieces, he remarks. He's in polite company, gathered with friends around a bottle of wine in the late afternoon sun, chatting and gossiping. I've gotten to be a real pessimist about things, he says. Have you read The Rise of the Colored Empires by this man, Goddard? They hadn't. Well, it's a fine book, and everybody ought to read it. The idea is, if we don't look out, the white race will be, will be utterly submerged. It's all scientific stuff. It's been proved. As a small child, I liked to color. I was one of those boys who colored very neatly inside the lines. I know that's a shock to all of you. My teachers would comment on my coloring ability, and I was proud of it, too. One of the problems I had with coloring, though, was no matter how many crayons were in the box, I used up one color long before all the others. It didn't matter if the box had 24 crayons in it or 36 or even 64. Remember those with the sharpener in the back? It only ever had one crayon in the color that Crayola called flesh. The flesh-colored crayon got used for every human figure in my coloring books, regardless of gender, age, or ethnicity. It got used on princes and princesses alike. Witches and giants and fairies all got flesh-colored faces and hands and legs. Not once did I try to add a little brown in to make them any darker. Crayola called the crayon flesh. So that must be its use. And no parent or teacher tried to get me to branch out in my coloring technique either. Everyone around me assumed the pinkish-beige crayon would do in all human situations. The United States has changed significantly since the 1970s when I was a child being raised in rural Montana. No longer can it be assumed that whiteness is the norm. No longer is it it possible to pretend that America is a white nation. And Crayola no longer calls that particular crayon flesh, though it is still in the box. Though we have seen incredible demographic and cultural changes in the last 40 years, A sense of white dominance remains, however. It remains strong enough, in fact, to elect a racist man as president. 
It remains strong enough, in fact, to jeopardize the citizenship of hundreds of thousands of Latino young people. It remains strong enough, in fact, to threaten black Americans with violence on a daily basis. As the character in The Great Gatsby so succinctly reveals, white Americans know their numbers are shrinking. The question really is whether they see this as a good thing or a bad thing. Clearly, many white people feel threatened, but I am not among them. I am thrilled at the demographic shifts and wish that they could come even faster. I think a multicultural America will be amazing and might finally live up to its stated ideals. I find the future quite exciting, even in the midst of this turmoil. I've been quite amused recently by some books and articles I've read where white people are suddenly realizing they are white. Articles describing how people suddenly realize the system they've been living in all their lives is rigged in their favor. Books describing how white people suddenly realize people of color have been deferring to them for years. White people who suddenly realize that they are, in fact, part of the problem. While these revelations are sincere, I worry we white people will get stuck there. I worry that we will make racial equality about ourselves once again and not see how obsessing about our own social location perpetuates the very system that is rigged in our favor. As long as white people are waking up white, they can continue to make race relations in America about them. Progress then becomes about white people understanding they are white, not getting behind people of color in their quest for equality. What is really needed is for white people to, in the words of a black friend of mine, shut the hell up for the first time in your life. (laughs) If anyone's wondering why we are currently going through a messy political chapter in American history, they have to look no further than the 2008 election of Barack Obama. They won't say this on the news, but this is the truth. Liberals managed to elect a black man president of the United States, and now we are paying for it. It was such an affront to the racist American psyche to have a black man living in the White House with his family that those who hated him have returned with a vengeance. In racist America, Trump negates Obama. White men are in power again, and they are grabbing everything they can while they have the chance. What they don't understand is that there is no going backwards. All attempts to make America great again will simply result in it bumbling forward regardless. The toothpaste does not go back in the tube. People of color will be in the majority in our country one day soon, and what an amazing place our country will be when white people learn to share power. And in this regard, we UUs have just a little bit of work to do on our own. 
I was recently in a conversation about race with some colleagues where a minister of color asked, how does it perpetuate the status quo to refer to Unitarian Universalism as a predominantly white denomination? Her question stunned the group. By referring to ourselves as predominantly white, we signal to people of color that there is no room for them keeping us predominantly white. It is a closed system. By making the obvious explicit, we further cement the idea that nothing will change. Wow, this is like Crayola, including one flesh-colored crayon in each box. Crayola said, here is what you will use because this is what flesh looks like. And I just wonder how many black and brown children took one look at that flesh-colored crayon and began mixing up skin tones of different colors on their own. But you and I, are we stuck using predominantly white to describe ourselves because we have no greater imagination? I hear people around here talk about the town of Concord this way as well. In very sympathetic tones, people say, well, there just aren't any people of color in Concord, implying it's too expensive for them or that they wouldn't want to live here or it's too homogenous. I see people of color in Concord all the time, just as I see people of color in this church all the time. How do we change the assumption of whiteness? How do we stop being so self-referential and actually see the world around us? The truth about Unitarian Universalism is that it is a tiny denomination in an increasingly religiously disinterested society. Most of our churches have fewer than 100 members, and most, most people in most congregations are in their 70s and 80s, not exactly a recipe for institutional longevity. What we do have going for us is our tenacity. As a religious minority, we are quite used to having to explain our open-minded theology to others, and this is a good thing. We are quite used to working with people of other faiths. We are quite used to siding with secular organizations. And when we do team up with other folks, we can be quite effective. This sanctuary was filled to capacity on Thursday night to hear environmental activist Bill McKibben speak. The coalition of groups that sponsored his inspired talk included Tricon Church, our neighbors just back here, Mothers Out Front, the League of Women Voters, Trinity Episcopal Church, the West Concord Union Church, and Musketaquid Arts and Environment. An event like this is First Parish at its best. It is Unitarian Universalism at its best. Only through organizing efforts that include our partners will lasting change happen. We cannot go it alone. Whenever we team with others, we will be more effective. And we have to be willing to leave the ease of the Metro West suburbs as well. We have to move beyond a place of white comfort to the gritty reality of places not like Concord. All the talk of changing the world 
is just that, talk, until you and I are willing to change our lifestyles to make change possible. At the end of his talk on Thursday night, Bill McKibben told the crowd, you cannot save the planet by changing your light bulbs or putting solar panels on the roofs of your house. Though he admitted that these are good things to do regardless, he was clear that they are not enough. Give up on trying to change Washington for a few years, he advised, and be willing to stop environmental degradation with your bodies if needed. Protest, he advised. March and picket and disrupt. Hell, sue the bastards if you can. You were supposed to laugh at that. (laughs) Everybody that night did. Bill McKibben is right. We would be wise to mostly ignore the reality TV show featuring Congress and the administration. We would be wise not to get distracted by the tweets and the threats and the scandals. Watch it all with a mild sense of detachment. And in the meantime, organize. If Unitarian Universalism squanders this amazing opportunity to bring a clear, relevant religious voice to the conversation, then we are fools. If we cannot stand squarely behind our theology and its demand that everyone be treated with respect, we will have betrayed our religious forebearers. If we cannot name the salvation of our own planet, as a religious duty, we will have yielded to false gods. Our world does not need us to be white saviors, though, just the opposite. We who can finally see that we are white have to use that sight to stop perpetuating white supremacy. We have to be the ones who are smart enough to shut up and sit down. We have to be the ones to get out of the way. We have to be the ones to stop making it about ourselves. One of the most powerful things I ever learned in organizing with people of color is that television reporters at any demonstration will always, always, always look for a white person to interview. And most white people will be flattered and will gladly talk on camera. Instead, the thing white allies have to do is say to the reporter, I think it would be better if you interviewed a person of color about this matter. If white allies are unable or unwilling to point to leaders of color and to stay off camera and stay away from microphones themselves, we will never hear from voices long silenced. In a 1998 address to students at Portland State University in Oregon, President Bill Clinton said, Today, largely because of immigration, there is no majority race in Hawaii or Houston or New York City. Within five years, he went on to say there will be no majority race in our largest state, California. In a little more than 50 years, there will be no majority race in the United States. No other nation in history has gone through demographic demographic changes of this magnitude in so short a time. He went on to say, 
These immigrants are energizing our culture and broadening our vision of the world. They are renewing our most basic values and reminding us all of what it truly means to be an American. It has been 20 years since that speech, and it is coming true. History will note who you and I sided with in America's great transformation beyond white supremacy. I know that we can be counted on to do our part to bring about this just and equitable future. I hope you'll go with me. So be it. Amen.